everyone. My name is Michael Kaiser. And I'm John Wilson. And welcome to another episode of Make Ours Marvel. This is episode 81 of the show, which is the average life expectancy for humans. So oh. if we die at some point in the near future, you saw it coming. Well, at least we made the average. Yeah, yeah, you know, so half of the podcasts live longer than 81 years and half of them die sooner mm-hmm. or something like that. That's the median. I, f- I feel like that's not true. I bet you so many more die sooner. <laughs> yeah. I wonder if well, there's been a study. That's interesting. Those probably offset the ones that like last for a thousand years. <laughs> yeah, really. Um, so we are continuing through our new year. We are still kind of drunk and hungover from the party and um, it's still January of 1965, and we're entering our second week of releases, January 12th, 1965, starting with Sergeant Fury 16. Um, Sergeant Fury 16 is a very yellow cover. It is very, very, very yellow, yellow and orange. Green Lantern would hate this cover. He would. You could, you could like, beat Hal Jordan senseless <laughs> with this comic book. It- and he couldn't turn the pages with a giant green energy hand. So right? be really annoying. Although I have to say I do kind of love the color cover because they're like looking utterly defeated and walking away from this fortress. It's pretty striking, even though it is very yellow. Uh-huh. All right. So this is called A Fortress in the Desert Stands. And since it's desert, if you're not paying attention, you think it's desert sands. No, Desert Stands, as in it stands in the desert. Um, This is the stirring saga of an impossible mission to the seven valiant men who had to accomplish it or die trying, which is exactly the description of every issue of Sergeant Fury. Mm -hmm. Uh, But our credits are written with machine gun power by ex-Sergeant Stan Lee, drawn with howitzer impact by ex-Corporal Dick Ayers, inked with rifle fire sharpness by ex-Corporal Frank Ray, and lettered with bloodshot eyes. (laughs) By Artie Simic, Civilian First Class. Oh, Civilian First Class. Okay, I get it. I don't think I don't think Art ever served. Yes, that's what it sounds like. So the Howlers are training, and the young boy Hans that they uh, met last issue is watching them train and training with them, except for the more dangerous parts because he's still an underage boy and not allowed to be a full-on Howler, which is what he really, really wants to be. Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, um, a soldier is on the run behind enemy lines. He manages to get to a radio and send a message to the uh, Allied forces in Britain um, before he is captured and killed. He was able to talk about a, uh, a very dangerous weapon that is that is being held by the Nazi forces in northern Africa. And uh, the higher-ups like, well, we can't let that happen, so let's send a special commando squad. And so the word goes out that the Howlers are back on the job. Mm-hmm. Leaving Hans behind, because he's just a kid, they head into northern Africa. Um, they, they drop in, they hide their chutes. Um, they uh, wander across the desert and they do find a fortress that is sort of in the middle of a very wide valley. And it's going to be kind of hard to sneak up on it because you can basically see for a very long distance in every direction. So what they do is they build a giant wooden rabbit and they all climb. <laughs> right. But no, no, they don't. With a bow um, on it. Dum Dum Dugan is like, you know what? I'm Dum Dum Dugan. 
I can totally do this. And he runs up to try to infiltrate the uh, fortress. It does not go well. They see him. They shoot at him. They capture him. The uh, other howlers like, oh, no, don't capture Dugan. And Reb Ralston actually runs down there to try to help save him. But he gets injured. The howlers are able to save Reb and get him back. But they can't save Dum Dum, who is now a prisoner. So the Howler's like, man, we can't get this fortress, and we lost a man, and we have another one who's not only injured, but also the the son is kind of cooking his brain, and uh, he needs to get some shelter and some medical care soon. Um, They happen across an oasis that is not a mirage. In fact, there's several tents um, erected nearby of some of the North African Muslim people um, they, uh, there is a, a family or clan or village or traveling caravan or something, uh, that is parked at this oasis. So Dino Manelli flirts with some of the women. Some of the men are very upset because they're very patriarchal and protective of their women. So they grab Dino and take him off. Um, but the women are, start taking care of Reb. Um, let's see. They try to convince the the howlers try to convince the men to help them infiltrate the fortress. But like, no, you uh, you insulted my tribe. They they freed Manelli, so you freed the man who also insulted our tribe. You need to get out of here. And so the howlers leave. Um, Dum Dum Dugan has found that there are several V two rockets in underground silos ready to launch at enemy forces. Um, the howlers come and disguise themselves as sheiks. They infiltrate the castle. They rescue dum-dum. There's a lot of fighting McFeidenstein. Um, the Muslim people who are nearby do decide to come to their aid with Reb Ralston at their back because he's a good guy and convince them to help. Um, and at the end of the day, Uh, Izzy Klein hooks up some explosives and blows up the entire fortress with all the missiles included. And now they just got to get back to town on camels. Boy, you not only know their first names, you know their last names too. Quit bragging. (laughs) I've never had as much problem with their names as you have. I I still don't know their names. It's so weird. Anyway, I'm getting better, but yeah. Uh, Because Izzy and Reb look a lot alike or something. I guess they don't. I don't know what it is. Reb is the blonde guy with, with freckles. Right, right. We, can, we know him because he's not junior. Yes, and he likes horses. He likes horses and he always speaks with... I think his, his southern accent and references to the Civil War have increased. So what is Izzy's thing other than explosives? I guess that's his thing. He's the explosives, mechanic, and he's Jewish. He's from okay. Brooklyn. There you go. Jewish. All right. Dino Manelli's Italian and an actor and mm-hmm. totally handsome. And Dean Martin. And Dean Martin. Dum Dum Dugan is an ex-boxer or circus strongman. I forget what. Circus strongman, I guess, right? I guess it's mostly just Izzy because all the rest of them, you know, kind of stand out at this point a little mm-hmm. bit. But Izzy needs more to do. He actually gets a quite a bit of screen time. Probably, well, I don't know. I don't know. Now they've, they've all said it, kind of had some screen time after a while. Mm-hmm. So, um, well, What's an Izzy story? See? Uh, I just feel like I've seen him do stuff. You've probably read the future and just are thinking of that. Maybe. Um, so speaking of uh, what's his face, who's like, you know, Periwinkle or whatever his name is, Perry or 
What is his Percy name? Percy Pinkerton. Percy Pinkerton. Um, do you have to have the umbrella open when you're when you're walking across rope with your hands? It's kind of weird. But <laughs> in the training shot at the beginning. In the, in the training shot at the beginning. I just noticed that. It was like, that's a little overkill, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I totally get it in the desert. Like that makes yeah. so much sense. Yeah, that was pretty handy. But when you're when you're dangling and and Gabe is blowing his trumpet. Oh his my bugle. gosh, you're right. I didn't even see that. So he's one handed hanging off a rope, blowing his right. trumpet. Um, it honestly looks like they're walking on air. Like it there's does. another like there's another wire underneath them. It does that maybe just didn't get drawn. Um, this idea of mascots, like you know, Bucky's the famous World War II mascot. Mm-hmm. idea but now we've got this kid who's even got mascot literally patched on his arm it's like that a thing that happened in world war ii like all these orphan kids just being raised on bases i guess that kind of makes sense maybe and like, not really mas- mascota is spanish for pet uh-huh so the idea of like just keeping a kid around the camp because <laughs> he's cute and fetches you stuff and that, that's kind of fun if this is europe where they're stationed it could be worse to not be on base at least base has three squares and a lot of people with guns mm-hmm. you know and those I mean, people he's a german and, or he's a german orphan who's living with the allies now so yeah he's gotta go yeah, somewhere yeah it's just interesting but man hans versus bucky bucky would totally win oh yeah Bucky's gonna kick Hans's ass. they don't even let him go no yeah horrible or well well would sergeant duffy let bucky barnes go maybe not but they'd let bucky go Captain America lets Bucky go. Yeah. I don't know. Um, I thought this was notable for the effort to show other cultures. Um, the, all the Muslims in this are painted Caucasian. Oh, yeah. Which it would be nice to have other skin tones, but at the same time, Gabe Jones is still gray. Oh, no. So, it's like they really don't have the skin tone subtlety down yet or something. No, no. I don't think they know how to do that. But it still would have been nice. Like this one woman who <clears throat> helps helps uh, bring Reb back to his feet is almost sometimes reddish or pink mm-hmm. or in a mm-hmm. weird way. So I don't know if that's just the newsprint quality or what. But And I was an adult before I knew that a lot of Northern Africa was Muslim, that the, um, that the Middle Eastern – Various Middle Eastern peoples came across Northern Africa and conquered and settled. And those were actually the peoples who invaded Spain in 800 AD. So, and then like occupied it for 800 years. Um, so Northern Africa as a Muslim cultural center is definitely a thing that I just, I didn't know about as like a high school person in history. That was not something that I, that I ever internalized. Mm-hmm. So if, if any listener out there did not realize this is totally a thing. Yeah. It's a nice change of scenery. It's not just them, you know, invading Germany again. Something different. Yeah. And whenever Nick Fury is disguised as a sheik, on page 16, all we see is like the unshaven lower half of his face. And that's mm-hmm. enough shorthand to tell us this is Nick Fury in disguise. Yeah. It's kind of funny. Yeah. It was a cool story. I enjoyed it, but I don't know what to say about it because there's, it's, it's, you know, we keep doing the same story, I guess, sort of. Well, it's like, I don't, I don't feel like they're the same story, no. but, I, but, but it is not like, not the same kind of shenanigans that we usually key into, you know? There's just nothing like outside of the mission still. There's no right. melodrama. There's, There's no, no, they all need girlfriends or something. I don't know. And, and we don't even see Pamela Holly, and she's, you know, a love interest. 
Usually that's a cool a scene, but although although yeah. those scenes are getting repetitive too, because it's pretty much them just on dinner date or a movie, and her telling him to stop being such a th- crow magnum and crack, and then uh, you know him getting into a fight. Yeah, I feel like the last issue and this issue have shifted towards more human focused interest mm-hmm. or human interest focus. Sorry, um, but yeah, I just I don't feel like I have a lot to say about them. Um, listening back to the last episode, I kind of felt like we shortchanged the story a little bit because it was like this big drama thing about the boy and looking for his dad and his dad is, you know, considered to be evil, but he's secretly, you know, secretly maybe working for the allies actually. And, you know, that, that, that's kind of a neat idea. It just didn't have anything to say about it. Yeah. So I don't know. The letter pages really love Sergeant Fury number 13. So we weren't wrong about that. Oh yeah. Sergeant Fury 13 is the, the, the bee's knees. Yeah. All right. Well, shall we move on then? I guess. Moving right along. Speaking of Captain America, Tales of Suspense featuring Iron Man and Captain America, uh, number 64. uh, And we start, as always, with Iron Man. I think for the duration of this title, it's always Iron Man first, as far as I know. But maybe they switch it up eventually. It's called Hawkeye and the New Black Widow Strike Again. Powerful script by Stan Lee. Poignant art by Don Heck. Punchy inking by Schick Stone, polite lettering by Sam Rosen, and plenty of kibitzing by the bullpen gang. I guess that's the uh, everybody. Yeah. So Tony Stark slash Iron Man is shooting lasers at his helmet because he's obsessed about making his armor as powerful as possible so he can live as long as he can because he's still worried about dying. Meanwhile, we cut to the all-new Black Widow, who is essentially... Got a superhero outfit now. She's got like the whole black canary fishnet thing going on. And she's got these cool bracelet things that shoot wire. And she's got a cape and a mask. And she swings over to Hawkeye's apartment as he's testing his new melting arrows, um, his acid spray arrows. She crashes through the window. He almost gets in a fight with her, but he recognizes her voice. My love, where have you been? They embrace. They kiss. She talks about what happened when last we remember... She was taken back to the Iron Curtain. Um, she was kidnapped. They wouldn't let her talk to Hawkeye. He thought he just left her. Or, I'm sorry, he thought she left him. This is all Tales of Suspense number 60. But she didn't, of course. Um, they brought her back. They demanded that she try and beat Iron Man and work for them again. And she now has kind of changed her heart and doesn't want to do that stuff anymore because she's decided the Russians are big, fat, meanie heads to her all the time. So why should she help them but speaking of big fat meanie heads they bring her old elderly helpless parents in and threaten to kill them so now she does have to work for them so they fit her up fit her out change her give her a new costume and the bracelets and she can even like walk on walls and stuff with suction cup uh feet um and they send her off to go kill iron man so she recruits Hawkeye, and he's like, well, I don't want to be a traitor. She's like, I'm not asking you to be a traitor. I just want you to help me kill Iron Man. He's like, oh, okay, well, that's fair. So they uh, decide the best way to go about doing that is to kidnap Tony Stark's friends. So Hawkeye uses a, you know, a, uh, an arrow that, that – like a flash bomb arrow kind of thing, and he, he uh, kidnaps Happy and Pepper. They're on a date. Um, actually, Happy, I should say – asks Pepper to marry him. And she's like, can I get back to you on that? Cause I still kind of like Tony. She doesn't say that part out loud, but she thinks it. Um, and he of course understands that anyway, but then they get kidnapped. Um, then black widow calls Tony and says, Hey, you better bring Iron Man over here. We're going to kill your friends. 
they go to this old, uh, I guess, like, abandoned town. And they have a bunch of extra Russians around to help them with guns hiding in the buildings and stuff. But Iron Man does show up. Tony Stark shows up. And he's like, hey, can't we just, uh, you know, I have an offer here for you. Here's the latest weapon designs I've created. If I give you this, will you you know, release my friends. And they're like, well, let us think about it. And while they're thinking about it, he drops this cool gizmo and it creates a gas bomb. And as everybody's coughing, all the guys that had guns and stuff were coughing. He turns into Iron Man and does his best Batman impression by going around and like taking them all out one at a time while they can't see. Um, so basically all the thugs are dispatched because Iron Man's way better than a machine gun. Then he goes after Hawkeye and Black Widow Hawkeye shoots this cool arrow that kind of spins around in circles and creates this E noise that's like deafening and killing him. But um, he manages to reach out and and snag it, and that kind of backfires and knocks Hawkeye to the ground. Um, the Black Widow jumps on a railroad like flat car thing and tries to run him over, but he just pushes it out of the way. Um, but then Hawkeye really starts getting good. He starts using that arrow that he was using in the beginning of the story, the dissolving acid arrow, and he keeps hitting Iron Man with it, and it's actually dissolving his armor. So that's not good. So now Iron Man's under the clock. He's got to take care of business before his armor's completely gone. He attacks Black Widow from above and manages to snatch her uh, gun. He's about to get hit by another one of those arrows by Hawkeye, so he burrows himself underground so he can't get shot up by arrows, and he comes around on the other side, and he knocks out... Oh, actually, what he does is he uses their strategy against him, and he knocks out Black Widow, just like they took out his friends. He's going to take out Hawkeye's friend or girlfriend, so he knocks out Black Widow. That completely uh, neutralizes Hawkeye because now all he wants to do is pick up his girlfriend and run away, which works. Iron Man quickly flies away because his iron... His iron suit is dissolving and he doesn't want anybody to see who he really is, which they all comment on, by the way. How come he doesn't want us to know who he really is? And then Tony Stark comes back and he's like, hey, Iron Man said the coast is clear and I'm supposed to come call the police. And Pepper runs up to him and hugs him and says, oh, my gosh, I was so worried about you. And Happy's like, oh, she still likes him. And Tony's like, oh, Pepper, don't do that in front of Happy. The end. Yeah, I thought we were kind of past the whole Pepper likes Tony thing, but evidently not. Um, yeah, well, when he was missing, she didn't care anymore. He was dead. Yeah, I mean, he was dead, yeah. She Maybe it's he the whole, he, he came back to life and she realized what she could have lost. Yep, could be. She does like Happy, though, because it's not like she's completely repulsed to the idea of marrying him, I guess. Right, right. She's just torn in her heart. Happy isn't as thuggish as he used to be. No. he's That's gone now. He's a bit more classically handsome. Mm-hmm. Which is good, because Pepper got dolled up. He doesn't have the cauliflower ear, former boxer thing going on anymore, really. Right. He's not the walking thing. Speaking uh, of getting dolled up, we have been waiting for the Black Widow to get her revamped super suit look. Uh-huh. This was not what we were waiting for, but it is definitely <laughs> a revamped super suit look. It's not the greatest, but it's okay. Uh, this is this is where she's going to live for a while. I like that she matched Hawkeye's masks. That's kind of fun. Yeah. Yeah. The little eyepieces on their masks. That's mm-hmm. pretty cute. I do think it's funny that they give her like suction cup feet and wrist things that can shoot, you know, a line for her to swing on. And they're like, okay, now go kill Iron Man. It's like, really? That's what you're giving me? This? I have yeah, to kill Iron Man with this? They basically gave her spider powers. 
Kind of, except she doesn't have the strength or the speed or the spider sense or the webs or... No, it's just a couple of gimmicks. It's like, you can swing now. Go kill Iron Man. It's like, I think, can you give me a gun or some sort of neutralizing technology power or something? Um, so the last time we saw them was the one where Hawkeye attacked Iron Man and Tony never knew that Black Widow was involved. And she got captured off panel, basically. Not off panel, but like behind the scenes. She got captured and they didn't know why. So Hawkeye right. thought she had abandoned him. Yeah, exactly. So this is, and they have, they give us the backstory of what happened. And, uh, so now she's anti-Russian and she's just being blackmailed essentially. And she got hauled in front of Nikita Khrushchev. This is an interesting little, little, uh, conjunction with history mm-hmm. because he lost power in October. The, ju- like the October that just passed. And she mentions that. Yeah. So the issue that we last saw her in hits Dan's in September. So, so her, she, her flashback is, instead, I was taken to Comrade Leader just before his fall from power. And so that so works because it was September. He, he lost power the next month. And now it's January. And she's, yeah. So it's, it's, they, they framed their story very carefully around recent events. But that said, this is all his idea. So now that he doesn't have powers, like, did the new guy come along and decide to keep the whole let's – let her continue to try and kill Iron Man thing, I guess. I guess. I don't know. Because who's, who's running the show if he doesn't have power anymore? We meet her parents. We do. They say nothing. Oh, no, they do no. say something. They say, do not fear for us, my daughter. Do what you feel is right. She's like, well, it's right that you don't get shot in the head for me. So I'll just be Black Widow, I yeah. guess. But it's the closest we have to a backstory for Natasha. It's like, oh, look, she has parents. But no. honestly, that's all we know about her right now. What's funny is you and I, I'm pretty sure, maybe, I, maybe I'm thinking this wrong. It's either been discussed on this show or what I guess starred on the, uh, guest starred, guest hosted on the, uh, the Sticked podcast, but we talked about Black Widow's origin at length and all the retcons and everything, and I completely can't remember any of it anymore. So now we're back to me <laughs> curious about her backstory, and we see these parents, and it's like, how does that fit into the things I remember about her? And I, I don't know her story at all. I mean, I know I know some vague concepts like the Red Room yeah. and the Red Guardian. Right. But as far as like what her story is, I don't know. I will probably learn more from the Black Widow movie than I, than I know from the comics. Well, she has this guy who supposedly submitted her to the Black Room or something. And it's like, so where'd the parents fit in? Were they involved in that at all or what? I don't know. Or, or are these fake parents? Or, yeah, I don't know. Because we haven't got to a Red Room yet. Hawkeye's a little weird. It's like, still, I'll help you take down Iron Man for love, but not for communism. Iron Man is still uh, Iron Man. Hawkeye is still like, I think he's visually very cool. And I'm glad that he exists in our life right now, but he hasn't been the Hawkeye yet. Kind of like, he's just like this dumb boy guy who keeps following her around. Right. And this is the Hawkeye that joins the Avengers. Like, this is his last appearance before the Avengers. Yeah, but see, in Avengers, I think he'll start fighting with Cap, and that's much more Hawkeye to me. Like, no, yeah, yeah, you're right. I just said, like, like, like personality will start emerging besides him just pining over Black Widow and doing whatever she said. Black Widow. Yeah, Black Widow. Yeah, doing, Black Widow. Doing whatever she says. But when he, when we get to that story, like, the, the Hawkeye we now know in these comics, this is, this this is, is all that was about him. Whatever he <laughs> wow. That is kind of crazy because one of the things about Hawkeye is like how he had this criminal past Mm -hmm. and he really wasn't much of a criminal. Like I think his first appearance, he did a little criminally thing, if I remember. It was was partly criminal, partly wrong place, wrong time and got it getting misunderstood. 
Like he wasn't trying to be a criminal. So yeah, but I think they gave him more story where he actually was a criminal in a circus or something like that. But anyway, they do the circus bit with a swordsman. Um, she has a B on her clasp B for black widow, (laughs) but she's Russian. Oh, good point. He has an H on his head. So maybe she's just trying to ape that or something. Maybe, but at least H stands for Hawkeye in English. I don't know what the Russian word is for black widow. Well, she doesn't like Russians anymore. So maybe she's trying to be English. Uh, Maybe she is. Maybe she is. Her outfit actually is cool. It's not really like black widow cool, Mm -hmm. but it's a neat design. And it kind of reminds me of like, you know, like sixties Batman villain, something or other, you know, that is exactly the vibe that it has. It feels like a sixties Batman villain. It feels like, like, uh, an action, a 60s action spy movie, femme fatale kind of thing mm-hmm. for the era and for the character. I think it's perfect. Yeah. It's just not what we were waiting for or that we're used to. No. And if you're thinking of her as a person who sneaks around being spy like and also a superhero, this is not necessarily the outfit that would work, but right. it's fun. Um, page six, panel one. Um, whenever uh, Happy and Pepper crash the car, Hawkeye says, you are now the prisoners of Hawkeye. Hawkeye and a girl in a costume. <laughs> it's This sounds like the kind of thing that might make hearing his name a little triggery later. Um, so I wonder, like, when Pepper is sitting there watching the news and finds out that Hawkeye is now one of the new Avengers. Mm. Very shortly after this. And if I recall, when he invaded Stark technology land or whatever he and her were locked in a room together also so she already has problems with him yeah yeah but i'm thinking of that scene i think it's new avengers number 50 where the new avengers are sitting there watching tv and the dark avengers get announced as the new official avengers team Mm -hmm. and they're all like oh my god those are those are super villains Mm -hmm. as avengers i just feel like that's gonna be the vibe with pepper and happy when they're like oh my god Hawkeye's an Avenger now? That would be great yeah. if that actually happened. I don't know if it will, but it's a cool Yeah, we're not going to see that on the panel, but I, I, in my head, it happens. Yeah, for sure. Um, Tony Stark walks in on page seven of his own story, but I didn't actually mind. I hadn't really noticed. He was in the first page, the splash page, but all he was doing was fiddling around on a pinup. Yeah. Yeah, and I feel like that was there because he doesn't actually show up. It is kind of cool. It's, it's more the Black Widow Hawkeye story. Mm-hmm. In fact, even the fight almost seems more like Hawkeye and Black Widow centric because they're the ones doing all the thought bubbling and the talking and like, how do we beat Iron Man? Oh, you're right. This is really more their story in an Iron Man comic than it is an Iron Man story with them in it. Pretty much until they run away. Yeah. Yeah. And then there's only like two more panels left. So like even the fight seems like I almost felt like I was rooting for Hawkeye and Black Widow to beat Iron Man. Yeah. Yeah. I felt that way too. Yeah. Even though I... That's a bad thing because their motives are bad, but whatever. (laughs) Iron Man's like, if that flat car hits me head on, my transistors will be shattered. And I'm thinking, yeah, you're probably everything else will too. (laughs) Yeah. I I picture her jumping on that thing and it taking like a half hour to build up enough momentum to matter. But Um, Hawkeye was a lot more active in the actual fight scene than Black Widow was. I kind of feel like she was a bit of a spectator through a lot of that. Um. So I know she didn't even use her suction cups. 
No, she didn't. But that was the thing I was kind of making fun of. It's like they gave her all this stuff that isn't great at fighting Iron Man. So really, Hawkeye is their only chance here Mm -hmm. with his acid arrows and his, you know, aviator arrows and all that stuff. That was actually kind of cool. I like the arrow that spun around and like hurt his ears and made him fall over. That was kind of fun. Trick arrows are fun. They're really stupid, but they're fun. I like them. It's going to be a long time before the Black Widow regains any sort of head uh, of uh, spotlight. Like going into the Avengers, she is definitely going to be an occasional supporting character for Hawkeye, who is a member of a team book. Um, and she's not really going to have her own space very often. Um, so these, these like, you know, four or five suspense issues we've seen are a lot of the Black Widow that we're going to have basically in this show. Is she fighting her future boyfriend with her current boyfriend? Or did, oh. or did they not date? Maybe I'm thinking of somebody else. I honestly have no idea if Tony and Natasha ever I dated. I feel like I have they did, no idea. They really... I, maybe I just think that Tony's dated everybody. I don't know. He slept with Gamora. He tried to sleep with Gamora, yeah. Well, it hurt him. <laughs> <laughs> she didn't notice, but anyway. Yeah. Shall we move on? Because there's another I story. I think it is time for our suspense to get World War II-y. All right. So Among Us, Wreckers Dwell. It's a Captain America and Bucky in the daring days of World War II. A tale of towering stature told with power and passion by Stanley writer, Jack Kirby illustrator, Frank Ray, delineator, and Sam Rosen, letterer. Um, introducing the mind-staggering villainy of Sando and Omar. And it starts out with a guy named Sando and... He is like a magician. Well, he's a fortune teller, but he does shows and all these people are there to see it. And he basically what he does is he uses his own mental powers to tell Omar, who's like this tiny, bald, um, you know, little person strip of a guy who looks like he's, you know, being pushed around and stuff. But he tells him to predict the future. And Omar looks into this crystal ball and then they see like. You know, tanks being blown up or something. And then later, turns out their predictions were true and tanks were blown up. And reading that paper is Bucky and Private Rogers, who are peeling potatoes. Uh, Sergeant Duffy comes out and gives them a bad time, but then trips over the potatoes and gives them a worse time. But Steve and Bucky are kind of suspicious of this whole prediction thing because, you know, magic's not real. That doesn't make any sense. So let's get a ticket. Um they get a ticket, they sneak into the backstage and turn into Captain America and Bucky, and while the show's going on, they find that there's actually a projector projecting into that crystal ball about the ship, about the bridge collapsing. So it's like, this is all phony, so let's attack them. So they go out there and they fight them um, pretty easily, because it's Cap and Bucky. They get chased into a dressing room, where unfortunately it's worse, because there's actually a bunch of you know, German goons backing up Sandu and Omar. Um, they've captured Bucky. They've also captured this lady who's been sneaking around too. Um, they reveal that Sandu is actually a uh, uh, named Wolfgang something or other. He's a colonel. And now he's going to kill all of them. And Cap's like, no, you're not because I'm Captain America. And so he and Bucky and the woman all start fighting these Nazis and do a pretty good job, kind of beat them all up. Um, 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 yeah, actually does beat them all up. It turns out Omar was just a patsy and a stooge, so they let him go. The lady introduces herself as Agent 13, and she works 
not for the FBI, but somehow linked or whatever with the FBI to help protect the, you know, America from invasion and stuff like that. So they shake hands and they run on their way and they turn back to private and, you know, mascot and go back to base. The end. Is this Peggy Carter? Good question. Because, no, it's not Peggy Carter, but it could be Betty Ross Golden Girl. Well, in the Golden Age version of this story, it's definitely Betty Ross Golden right. Girl. Right. But here she does not. And, and in the original story, she calls herself Betty Ross. Mm-hmm. And here she calls herself Agent 13. But Agent Thir- Pe- Peggy Carter is Agent 13. Yeah. So it's like they're kind of. I would say joining the two, but except I'm not sure if they have intentions of a Peggy Carter at this point. So yeah, well, at this point, yeah, Peggy Carter is not a thing yet. Right. But is this the character who grows to become Peggy Carter? Well, I'm not sure because it's been a while since I've read the first appearance, you know, quote unquote, first appearance of anybody who's called themselves Peggy Carter. So does this gel with that? I don't know. I thought Peggy Carter was a revolutionary with a rifle in, you know, France or something. So that wouldn't really right. work here. So this could be Golden Girl, but I actually was reading that on Wikipedia, and apparently that's never been confirmed as far as Silver Age. Mm-hmm. Obviously, like you said, the Golden Age is straight up true, but like there's nothing to indicate whether this is true or not. So I don't know. Okay, um, but that's one so of the for changes. Those who don't know, yeah, definitely one of the changes in the story. Mm-hmm. Uh, but for those who don't know, Betty Ross is a character from Golden Age Captain America who at first is just like an occasional supporting cast character that appears to maybe be a romantic interest that never gets used. Mm-hmm. But then later on, she becomes uh, a costume character. And whenever Bucky Barnes gets shot and leaves the Captain America stories, because that's a thing that happens, mm-hmm. she replaces him. And then later, later on, it's retcon that that's not even Steve Rogers and Bucky Barnes. So it just gets really complicated. Yeah. Yeah, because... It's, I think, the Patriot at that point dating her or something. Right. But anyway, yeah, fun stuff. Yeah, pretty – it's it's one of those classic Captain America stories that everyone knows about because it gets reprinted in the 60s. It's from Captain America number one. It's the the first story after the, you know, three or four page origin or whatever it is. It Mm kind of merges into that. Um, It's basically the exact same story except, as far as I know, she calls herself Agent 13 instead of Betty Ross. And I think the art is – way different because you know it's not golden age kirby anymore it's silver age kirby now a lot of the art is kind of redrawn or the same shots from slightly different perspectives we do see her more on the page Uh in this like we see her like you know looking around and being a reporter and trying to get a story and getting captured or something like that Mm -hmm. but in the um in the original version the first thing we see of her is in this room where they're already captured she's like oh i was captured too hi yeah off panel is kind of yeah i did like that there was more sneaky shots of her throughout yeah and they don't really address who she is or anything yeah i mean i think i don't know i love silver age kirby so the art to me is much improved but it is some especially the beginning with the whole predictions in the crystal ball there's a lot of the same style mm-hmm. um i don't know the the whole first issue of Captain america comics almost does get adapted like they did the origin last issue they're going to do the red skull story next issue the they there's a um a chess player character that they skip over mm-hmm. but i was i had never really put together that they, they adapt almost the entire first issue of Captain america comics into the silver age Captain america strip and just like the last one they adapted he has a round shield he does not mm-hmm. have the exposed golden age neck thing um 
Oh, on the back of his, yeah. Like his neck isn't just a, isn't naked and he's got like a helmet thing going on. It's actually a mask covered. It's, it's very 60s cap look in these World War II stories, which they don't do eventually. Eventually they'll go back to the whole triangle thing to indicate early life and stuff. And it's kind of funny that they don't hear, they ignore it. Um, this is explicitly set in the early days of World War II before the Pearl Harbor bombing. Mm-hmm. So America so has not joined. America has not joined the war. So this is definitely early days. You know, we just, it's just before we know it, we don't really know it. And we had that um, Sergeant Fury story where it wasn't really, you know, it's kind of hard to tell where in the war you are with Sergeant Fury. Because they're always in um, Europe. Yeah, well, that's where the war is. Well, it is. You're right. But. They, you could say that they were in Europe before the war started for America or not. You don't know. Right. And I imagine that very likely they were. Like, mm-hmm. um, But yeah, so it's just, it's hard to say. We didn't really know when that story took place, only that it was Fury's first meeting of Captain America. Um, but this is definitely early. So Captain America has been around for the entire war up until he falls in the ice. Is it just me or... Would you like to see a Marvel team up with Sergeant Duffy and Sergeant Fury at least once, too? That'd be fun, wouldn't it? I would like to see them meet at least once. <laughs> it's funny because, like, they both sort of scream the same. It's just Nick is cooler because he can actually back it up, maybe? I don't know. Maybe. Well, so, you know, Army sergeants are, you know, that's that's like a trope, a stereotype. It's a thing, they, they, yeah. They yell a lot. Uh-huh. And I'm sure that was all very amusing for these people who were reading who probably did go through the war or – Mm-hmm. something you know oh my sergeant was horrible just like this but nick it's just funny because like they kind of have the same approach and they uh you know insult and scream but nick is like cool because he can also kick butt and he's the hero of his comic and sergeant duffy is a bumbling clown because he's not captain america i guess right yeah um and what else did i have i had that oh yeah like so many Golden Age stories, this seems like the most roundabout way possible to get a job done. Like, we want to bomb stuff in the U.S. Uh-huh. So, and, and, and mess up morale while we do it. So let's do a stage show of magic and fortune telling, but then like make the fortunes come true because, I don't know, it's a little bit weird. It's almost, yeah, it's like, let's warn them what we're going to do. Yeah. Eventually they'll catch on to that and start paying attention. But it was like this whole thing is like, no, he's actually trying to destroy morale with his magic show. But then And they are gonna catch on because the the, the predictions and the, the crystal ball is so clear, they were able to see that it was Fort Lehigh where those bridges were. But you know what's so like weird is how did exactly how did they get the be. prediction or the projection if they hadn't actually done it yet? Or did they do oh. it and film it and then not tell anybody? Yeah, people would have noticed. So I don't get it. It is a little weird. It is very golden age. But it's also like World War II propaganda, which I love. I love that it's always a propaganda war, a newspaper war. Mm -hmm. You know, that's kind of fun. Um, Yeah, it was cool. It's just like a, you know, fresh coat of paint on an old story, I guess. Basically. And we have one more golden age adaptation story before we start getting new World War II era stories. Because nothing can stop the Red Skull. The Red Skull. Except maybe not that Red Skull. But anyway. Don't confuse the issue. Should we move on to the best story of the night that I don't have to summarize? (laughs) Okay. Spoilers. I have issues with this magazine. I don't even want Um, you to summarize it because I don't want to experience it again. But let's do it. (laughs) Oh, 
The Avengers 14. Yes. Remember when The Avengers was a good comic? Uh, no, kind of. I was thinking about that. But <laughs> I was thinking about that, but we'll get to that in a second. Okay. Even Avengers can die. No, they can't. Nope. Plot and editing by Stan Lee. Script by Paul Lakin and Larry Lieber. Layouts by Jack Kirby. Pencils by Don Heck. Inking by Schick Stone. Lettering by S. Rosen. Um, Wasp is dying from her encounter with a gun bullet wound thing last issue. So they rush her to the hospital and the doctor's like, oh no, it's in her lung. And I can't fix lungs. In fact, no one knows how to fix lungs except this one <laughs> guy. And they're like, let's go find this one guy. He's in Norway. Thor's like, Norway, you say? So Thor flies across the ocean to Norway. And Giant Man cries and cries mm. and cries yeah. that the wasp is dying. So Thor gets Norway, sees this, the Dr. Svensson, that's his name, working on some science in his lab. And he's like, I need you to do some lung science medicine on my friend. We're going to fly back across the ocean. And he's like, no, wait, I, I, it, 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 it. oh, crap. So they fly back across the ocean. And Dr. Svensson's like, I tried to tell you I'm not really Dr. Svensson. And Giant Man's like, you must help the wasp. And he grabs Dr. Svensson and Dr. Svensson's face comes off. And he's this pink pointy haired alien underneath. And the alien's like, I told you I'm not Dr. Svensson. So the alien dies and they don't even know why. And Giant Man cries and cries and cries that the wasp is dying. So they're like, okay, well, Dr. Svensson has to be somewhere, right? Like on the entire globe. It's like, yes, let's find him. So Henry Pym goes and consults with every single ant in the world. And they've not seen Dr. Svensson. So he must be in a place with no ants. Logical. The teen brigade have set up to get any sort of radio signals that might mention Dr. Svensson from the entire world. And there's no mention of Dr. Svensson. So Tony Stark sends a uh, device, a Geiger counter missile to detect any radioactivity from the uh, medical experiments that Dr. Svensson must be doing in the entire world. And there is no hint of radioactivity. So they all gather and realize, okay, Dr. Svensson has to be somewhere where there's no ants, no electrical signals, no radioactivity. <gasps> Antarctica. No, no, no. They don't say oh, Antarctica. They say, okay, well, it's got to be one of the poles. Let's fly away from the one we're pretty close to down to the equator where Thor can stick out his hammer and get a tingle on his hammer <laughs> for which pole they should go to. A Peter tingle. Oh, yeah. we were pretty close. Let's go back to the north, to the North Pole, because that has land. So they go to the North Pole and they fall down inside this icy crevasse, and there they find the alien race that this other alien belongs to. And first they're fighting, um, and they find this entire city underground, and they're taken prisoners, and they go and talk to the Lord of the Aliens. Remember that time is crucial. Um, I didn't mention this, but there's a 48-hour time limit from the beginning of this comic, and Thor's jaunts 
across the ocean and back took up a big chunk of that. So they have like a handful of hours. So they get to the King of the Aliens. And what happens? He tells their entire life story. And how they have Dr. Svensson helping them breathe on Earth because Earth air is not good for them. And um, they blast all the Avengers to knock them out. But Thor fights back and the Avengers fight back. Um, and then Dr. Svensson is like, wait, no, I'm here. I'm not a prisoner. I found out they needed help, but I'm helping them. And I'm, you know, I can go with you as soon as, you know, they don't need me anymore. And they're like, yes, because we have enemies. There's another alien race that is hunting us and wants to kill us. And someday, someday, they might find us on Earth. Well, then the aliens find the aliens on Earth. And they attack. And Thor says Avengers assemble. And the Avengers fight the other aliens off. And then, um, no, they don't. They don't do that. The uh, the aliens who are on Earth get in their ships and decide to go and fight the other aliens. So then the Avengers go and they go back to the um, hospital and Dr. Svensson examines the wasp and giant man cries and cries and cries because the wasp might be dying. In space, aliens fight aliens and the aliens make the aliens leave. And the Watcher's like, ooh, that was a pretty cool fight. Um, I'm going to go follow those aliens because that's random. And Dr. Svensson comes out and says, well, the operation's over and the wasp is totally going to survive to um, get a new costume and tell us to astonish. And that's the end of the issue. So this is like, you know, those old, not old, but it seems like it's been a while. Those stories of the watcher tales of the watcher. It's like a left. Mm -hmm. It's like a leftover. One of those had a baby with like Star Trek season three and it's just horrible. Horrible. It feels like Mad Libs. <laughs> yeah. It's like they like, threw everything I, they could think of at the wall to see what would stick and nothing stuck, but they did it anyway. This the the stakes kept getting higher. Uh-huh. And every time they did, I cared less. <laughs> I never was a fan of the trope of only this one doctor in this one remote location can do the surgery. How are we ever going to get them here? A lung doctor? Um, yeah. Not even a brain surgeon, but a lung surgeon. Some guy somehow this guy knows his lungs and only he can do this whole He's probably a smoker too. <laughs> this whole she has a bullet in her lung thing. Like no one else can solve this problem. So it's like first we can't do the surgery. Because there's a doctor far away. Okay, let's go get the doctor. Get the doctor. We can't do the surgery because the doctor is secretly an alien. Oh, we could, we don't know where the doctor is because the alien died. Oh, let's scour the globe. Oh, we find the doctor. Oh, he's with aliens. And the aliens have to tell we have to fight the aliens. But oh, the aliens have to fight other aliens. Mm -hmm. And it's just it just keeps getting bigger and bigger. There's a big battle in space that feels absolutely pointless. And the Watcher shows up. Uh-huh. Just to make you think that it's supposed to have a point. The worst part was, like, the Doctor, after all that fighting they did, was there, um, wasn't a prisoner. So, like, mm -mm. it's just like, you know what, actually, I'm here because they needed my help to help with their lungs. And I'm cool with that. And um, um, then they're like, okay, uh, we're getting attacked by these people. 
and they were going to just fight back. And the doctor's like, no, you promised me you wouldn't fight back here because you're going to kill Earth if you fight here. And so they all agree to leave. And the fight takes place off of Earth. No drama for us for like three pages. Um, Mm -hmm. And that's just what's stupid. Like, because somehow the wasp dying isn't dramatic enough. Right. We need more. The wasp dying is the least <laughs> interesting dramatic thing. part of this story. Yeah. Except I, I made fun of it a little bit, but because it's because it's written overwrought. Of him crying. But I honestly can't fault Hank mm. for being upset that Jan's going to die. Right. That's totally believable. It's just a bit overwritten. But why couldn't the plot be like Hank has to shrink down and do an operation as Ant-Man inside her body or something that would have been more fun because that's going to be the vision and that's going to come later oh okay but wouldn't that have been a fun story a nice cool 50s sci-fi how the body works story or something definitely uh the the incredible voyage yeah exactly just do that fantastic voyage fantastic voyage right there are billions of people on this planet so i would wager that there are trillions of ants There is simply no way that one man could monitor the entire world. All of the efforts are just ridiculous, patently ridiculous in their scope. Oh, Iron Man has the same thing. He's got an orange bullet gun thing that can scan all inhabited area of Earth. And and the Rick Jones and the Teen Brigade put together an aerial that could do the same thing for radio transit. It's just none of it. Is even remotely believable. But why, in particular, is this big Stark bullet programmed to only scan inhabited areas of Earth if you're trying to find something? And then it comes back and he goes, well, it must be somewhere uninhabited. It's like, well, why can't it fly over that and look? Oh. You know what I mean? I don't know. That's just a minor nitpick to a whole thing of stupidity. That It's not even worth nitpicking. It's just... Well, I, I can understand scanning the inhabited areas because that's where he should be. Mm-hmm. But then once they're like, oh, well, he's not there, then have it scan everywhere else. Yeah. Like the next, next logical step. Right. And, and Thor's hammer really tingles a lot lately. I haven't been summarizing that in, in his stories either, but like all the time now he's talking about how he can sense weird magics and, and odd things. And apparently not the alien he's carrying around thinking it's a doctor, but, but like that's the thing that's, that his, his, his hammer has now is spider sense, I guess. And I guess if there can be a blue area on the moon with oxygen, then there can be an underground city where there is no land. (laughs) I don't like the art either. I don't like, and you were saying at the beginning of this, like, remember when the Avengers was good? And I'm like, dude, I'm kind of struggling with this whole Avengers is my favorite team thing because 16 issues in, 14 issues in, and like outside of Avengers 4, and maybe a little bit of the time they fought the Lava Men. I don't know if there's been a lot of good. There's the master. Well, it's like oh, masters. There's of the evil. masters of evil. Yeah. There's Kang. There's Wonder Man. There are some good stories in there, but they're not great no. stories. I'm thinking right now, X Men is my favorite team, which is just bonkers because I don't know if their stories are great either. But I don't know. I like their dynamic better or something. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Oh, by the way, the Teen Brigade. Uh huh. Say goodbye. This is the last issue. Mm-hmm. Forever. They're going to make a couple appearances in other books in the relatively near future, and then just kind of fade away. This is their last appearance in the Avengers. I guess that's okay. It just seems it's kind of funny that it's like every time Cap's on a panel, it's got to be the team grade, like they're his little backup or something. Yeah, not anymore. Not anymore because he's going to start getting his own stories. 
one, Rick Jones is going to leave Cap. Mm-hmm. Cap's going to be on the Avengers leading a team of four. Mm-hmm. No Rick Jones, no Team Brigade. Rick Jones goes off to be with the Hulk, um, and they just don't use it anymore. Mm-hmm. Good. They have. They didn't really use they it have anyway. Anti freeze. Yeah, they didn't really use it anyway. They have anti freeze pills. Do they? Anti freeze. I missed that. Yes. Page eight. They take anti freeze pills when they go to the Arctic. <sighs> so it doesn't. That way, Cap and, doesn't have to wear a parka. Yeah. Dude. Or get like. PTSD for going into the ice. It'd be cooler if he wore a parka, a Captain America parka. That would have been awesome. That would be cool. Um, um, yeah, there's just I, I'll, I'll give one compliment to this story because it's really the only one I can think of. Is that I did dig that on page three when the guy's talking about the special lung doctor that can only do lungs. That Thor mm-hmm. Thor knew who he was talking about because he'd read the study. That was kind of neat. Oh, that was pretty neat. There's also a battle cry. Avengers Assemble. Oh, good. But that wasn't the first one. Um, they have said Avengers Assemble before to actually have them assemble. Oh, no. Is this really the first Avengers Assemble? As a battle cry, oh, I think so. That's yeah. horrible. Although I do like that scene, too, because they actually, the bad guys were going to welch on their agreement with Lung Doctor and fight their nemesis on Earth. And Thor's like, no, you're not. And smacked his hammer down really hard. And they're like, you're right. We're not. Let's go. <laughs> that was kind of cool. Also, Thor is totally a big Stucky shipper. What? Because Steve is moaning about Bucky in this. Uh-huh. About how he knows what it's like to lose a loved one. Well, Steve doesn't and say anything out loud like, about Bucky, but yeah. No, but Thor's like, oh. Captain America knows what it's like to lose a loved one. Uh-huh. And it's just like, yeah, you know, Steve and Bucky, they're a thing. Yeah. At first, I wondered if it could be like some romance in Cap's background, but even though we just saw it, we just talked about Agent Thirteen. There's, there's, that's not a romantic figure at this point. That's just a character, right? No, it's definitely Bucky, someone near and dear to him. I think he said or something like that. Mm-hmm. My note on page nineteen when the battle starts is just, oh my I know. god! I already wanted the story to be over so bad, and then they did this to us for mm-hmm. for three freaking pages. This is where it really felt like a Tales of the Watcher thing. It does. The plot for the back half of this book feels like Tales of the Watcher. And there's the Watcher to tell us the tale. Is that our Watcher or a Watcher? Because he's sure dressed weird. Um, He just says the Watcher. And at this point, we haven't ever given another Watcher any solo time. Maybe this is Roger the Watcher. Because Roger calls himself the Watcher. So why? They all do, probably. They're They're like the Hunters. Larry the Hunter, Larry the Watcher. Watu, yeah, could be. the hunter. Maybe he's a hunter watcher. <laughs> Maybe he's a watcher hunter. I yeah. know, oh, original sin. Um, okay, toxic masculinity. The last caption. Let us now leave the Avengers. Strong men should not be seen with tears in their eyes. Yes, they should, Stan. Yeah. Strong men should be seen with tears in their eyes. Don't encourage toxic masculinity. Right. And I think they refer to Wasp as their female on the team as she's dying a bunch of times in this too, but. I'm not. I don't even want to try and figure out where at this point. Mm-hmm. Our our obligatory uh, our obligatory uh, female uh, is going to die. We need to fix her. It's okay if we lose one right. of the men, but we've only got the one woman. So all of these covers in this episode, and I think last episode as well, um, have the MMMS wants you on the cover. Right. True. And in the back, uh, letters column also. So the Mary Marvel Marching Society is definitely getting underway. We've talked about that before. 
Uh, we don't really talk about the other stuff going on in the comics besides the stories because the stories are our focus. But I know that it's a big part of early Marvel fandom. So I just want to mention that that's, that's this era. And I don't know if this is going to be helpful because by the time you guys hear this, it'll be a week later and there'll be 200 more tweets. But Scott Edelman, who follows us and uh, plugs us a lot, and he's awesome, and he's worked in comics as a writer, um, he posted his Mary Marvel Marching Society certificate after listening. Yes, it has his name on it, and that's really after, great. We're going to yeah. share that on the uh, – Make Arts Marvel Facebook page and um, Twitter page. So thank you, Scott, for sharing. Yeah, it's really cool. I've never actually seen one before. That's kind of neat. Let it be known, or no, just be it known, Scott Edelman is a, it's his authorized signature, and it has his name typed in there, is a charter member in good standing of the Mary Marvel Marching Society and is thereby entitled to the adulation and admiration of all lesser mortals. These privileges are non-transferable, signed by the Grand Marshal Pro Tem, Ben J. Graham. So cool. I got to eBay one of those now. <laughs> good luck, I guess. All right. All right. So that's our third comic. That's it. Not bad, other we, than Avengers. I liked, well, I guess I just like Tales of Suspense, really. But yeah, good stuff. We barely hit an hour this time. Like, it's possible that after I take out our silences, we might not be an hour long, which we've never done before. Well, we still have, um, yeah, a little bit of filler left to go, but oh well, I guess. I don't know. Yeah, that's okay. It just happens. It just happens. All right. So what are we going to be doing next week? Next week, we have Strange Tales, number 131, where the mad thinker subjects human torch and thing to the bouncing ball of doom. And we also have Doctor Strange in The Hunter and the Hunted, because he's on the run, if we recall correctly on that one. Fantastic Four, number 37. It's uh, called Behold a Distant Star. It looks like they're on some planet and there's people with guns. That's all I can tell you. I haven't read it yet. I think that's a scroll story. Okay, cool. They could be scrolls because you can't see their faces. Um, mm -hmm. An Amazing Spider-Man, everybody's favorite. Number 23, The Goblin and the Gangsters, featuring the Green Goblin again. It's been a while since we've seen that guy, so that should be cool. Yes, yes, yes. So... Um we usually say thank you to everyone who has followed us on Twitter and Facebook um, since our last recording, which only had one person to mention. There have been no new likes or follows, but we do always appreciate you out there in listener land uh, retweeting uh, our new episodes, sharing the posts on Facebook. Uh, mentioning us whenever people ask you what your favorite podcasts are, leaving re uh, reviews in iTunes and all those other wonderful things that help um, help promote us and help get people to know that we're out here talking about Marvel Comics every week just for you. Social word of mouth. Mm-hmm. Which you can start by going to makeoursmarvel.com and you can find the links to Facebook and Twitter and join us there. Um, and of course, all the links to the various ways you can play this show and, you know, pictures of the covers and the ability to play the podcast right there on the website, or if you'd rather do that for some reason. Um, and there's also a contact form you can use to message us or write directly to podcast at makearsmarvel.com. I can be found at John Reads Comics on Twitter. Um, I can also be heard at the All the Pouches Image Comics podcast. I can be read at Let's Talk Wanda, tweeting through the life of the Scarlet Witch as we go through her life in this show. Um, I can also be seen talking about 
the comics I am reading and the episodes I am watching for my Transformers podcast called Return to Cybertron. And that is on Twitter at TFUK Podcast. Um, I have a few more episodes I want to get under my belt before I start releasing, but that will be coming before the end of the fall season. So follow me on Twitter over there if you are interested and you'll get updates as they are updatable. Um, so I guess that wraps us up. Are you still watching that um, Marvel superhero action hour stuff or whatever it's called? Yeah, the Marvel superheroes cartoon. Yeah, Keenan and I um, are finishing up the third week of that and show. And is that available for free online somewhere? Is that how you're doing that? Yeah. Um, the Captain America episodes are pretty decent quality on archive.org. Mm-hmm. The other ones um, are mostly on Daily Motion. Okay. So if you search the name of the character in 1966, you should get the episodes. That's the reason I bring it up is because I know at least the Captain America ones are taking from the content we're currently covering right now, right? Pretty much. Yeah. Yeah. The Captain America and the Hulk are both from the stuff we're doing basically right now. So if you want to see a badly Um, animated version of what we're talking about, yeah, you should check those out. It's interesting how quickly you get used to Mm -hmm. the animation style. Especially if you can watch with somebody who's younger and would actually enjoy it more. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm actually kind of starting to dig the show. Yeah. It's kind of <laughs> like listening to an audio audio comic or something. I mean, obviously there's visuals too, but it's neat to see like this dialogue that you're reading come to life with actual voices and music and mm-hmm. it's cool. And we're at that sweet yeah. spot right now where they're taking that information from these comics we're talking about. So these comics that we're reading right now are going to get animated in about 18 months from where we're currently Mm -hmm. reading. But yeah, so that's fun. Um, I don't know. Maybe we should. I mean, it's going to be six or nine months before we get there, maybe even longer because it's actually the latter part of the year. But we should consider talking about those on the show. Or what I could do is maybe, if it's possible, link the video as a bonus to any story that applies on our website. You know what I mean? That might take some research, but if we think about it. Yeah, we'll have to figure that out. All right, well, we will be here in a week, so until then. Or, until Captain America starts dating Agent 13's younger sister, make ours marvel. We were not supposed to leave. Four million years ago, two armies were stranded on a world not their own. Waking in the modern day, their ages-old alien conflict revives on the planet Earth. Scouring this new world for resources and safeguarding the native life from their war, their one goal remains. We have to go back. The stories of these Autobots, Decepticons, and humans were published in the United Kingdom in a weekly comic book and broadcast as an animated series. And now there will be a podcast exploring these chronicles in their entirety. We have to go back to Cybertron. Return to Cybertron, a Transformers UK podcast, coming October 31st.